Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you for joining our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Psalms contains incredible truths about God and wisdom for life. Psalms helps us learn how to pray. It teaches us to worship through all the different seasons and emotions of life and how to walk with God daily. We hope these teachings help orient your life to love and worship Christ. Thanks for listening. Amen. Thank you guys for leading us in that time of worship. Our God is indeed a great God, and He has done great things. Amen? Amen. It's wonderful. Two wonderful songs. Well, good morning, church. Um, it's good to see your face again. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. If uh, I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is James Valet. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Redeemer, and I'm also a church planting resident. So that means that I get to serve on staff, but also my family and I are planning to go plant Redeemer Dripping Springs uh, next year. Uh, So we're very excited about that, excited about what God is doing in Redeemer Midland, in and through Redeemer Midland, and we're hopeful and praying and excited about what God's going to do in Hayes County in Dripping Springs through Redeemer Dripping Springs. So we're grateful and excited about that. I'm excited to have the opportunity to preach uh, this morning, but honestly, I'm a little terrified as well because I have the responsibility to preach the last sermon before Pastor Jason comes back from sabbatical. So if I preach a terrible sermon that makes you all mad and you all leave and he comes back to an empty church, he's coming to me. So, uh, no, I'm excited that Pastor Jason will be back next week. He'll be talking about Advent um, and a terrible sermon. Some people say there is no such thing as a bad question or a stupid question. Maybe, maybe not. There is such thing as a bad, terrible sermon. And uh, that is a sermon that's void of the gospel and void of God's word. So... In order to ensure that this doesn't classify as a terrible sermon, let's start with the Word of God. Would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 1? Psalm chapter 1. So I have the privilege of concluding our series in the Psalms by going to the very first Psalm. So in, uh, in staff meeting, I said, we're going to end at the beginning. And somebody was like, oh, that's a Harry Potter quote. And I have, I'm more of a Narnia guy myself, so I had no idea that that was a Harry Potter quote. But we are going to end at the beginning, Psalm chapter 1. Read it with me as I read it aloud. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Six verses, very simple song, psalm. Um, It's very black and white, uh, but it's incredibly important. And I think it's fascinating as we look at it. Very important psalm. It's, It's actually in it we find the message and the theme of really all of Scripture. 
as this psalmist talks about these two paths. He opens up the whole book of Psalms called the Psalter. He opens up the Psalter with, by presenting these two paths. So there's many different kinds of Psalms, and through the, over the last 10 weeks, we've looked at all different types of Psalms. You have penitent Psalms or Psalms of repentance. Uh, you have Psalms of, of waiting and Psalms of hope. You have pump-up jam Psalms, Psalms of celebration to get God's people pumped up, and you have Psalms of wisdom. And this is a Psalm of wisdom. It's the most important Psalm of wisdom. St. Jerome says, it is the father of all the wisdom Psalms and the preface of the Holy Spirit into the rest of this book. So it's like the preface to all of the Psalms. Charles Spurgeon, when speaking of Psalms 1, he said this, it is the author's desire to teach us the way to blessedness and to warn us of the sure destruction of sinners. This then is the matter of the first Psalm, which may be looked upon in some respects as the text upon which the whole book makes up a divine sermon. So Psalm 1, I believe Charles Spurgeon is right. In Psalm 1, through three two-verse sections, the psalmist compares and contrasts the only two paths in life. The only two paths. He considers where each one seeks joy. He considers the fruit of each path. And he considers the eternal consequences of each path. So I believe that's the main point of the psalm. That's what this psalmist is doing. The main point is, is there are two paths in life. Only two. And they are starkly different from one another. There are only two paths. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. So which path are you on? That's the, that's the point of this psalm. The whole psalm tells us there's a right way and a wrong way. This man in Psalm 1 has chosen the right way. He's chosen the way of righteousness. And the author intends to invite all of us, all of the readers, to, to choose that path as well. Because it's the only path to blessing, true blessing. Look at the first word, Psalm 1, blessed. Very first word, 150 chapters. The first word of this book is blessed. Blessed. We talked about that in Psalm 84, uh, the, the blessed life, how to live the blessed life. And my friend told me I should have titled that sermon, How to Live Your Blessed Life Now, instead of Best Life Now. I thought that was good. So blessed. Blessed is the man. Happy. Every commentator that I looked at, everything that I read said this word could be translated happy. That's what it means here. Happy is the man, happy, happy is the man who chooses this path, who chooses the right path to go down. And isn't that what we all seek? Happiness, happiness, joy, satisfaction. I'm going to be using those words uh, interchangeably. I understand and acknowledge the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is often dependent upon our circumstances while we can have joy no matter what is going on around us. But I'm going to be using this word happiness to encompass joy and satisfaction, true delight. But isn't that what we all seek? We all want to be a happy. We all have a deep longing in our hearts to be happy. The goal behind every decision that we make is happiness, whether we decide to take the job or not take the job, whether we decide to marry the girl or not marry the girl or guy whether we decide to have children or not have children. 
behind all of those, we think whatever we decide will bring us greater happiness. Blaise Pascal says this. This is a famous quote from him. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The will, the human will, the human heart, never takes the least step but to this object of happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. That's a shocking statement. That paragraph is shocking to me. Taking it that far, really behind every decision that I've ever made and every decision that I make today is the desire to find greater happiness. Is that true? I believe it is. And then I started thinking of examples of stories that I've heard and things that I've read and scriptural examples. Is happiness, joy, satisfaction, is greater happiness really the motive that drives every decision that we make? And I think it is. I was, reading, I was thinking of a story I read years ago about a, a known atheist in New York that when a, a, a vehicle ran off of a bridge and went into a f- freezing cold lake and people were drowning and he sacrifices himself and he swims out and he saves two or three people and then he drowns. Like, did he do that motivated by happiness because he thought this was a better, the right thing to do that would bring him more happiness? I believe the answer is yes. It's hard. But I believe it's yes. We look at Jesus and the cross. He dreaded the cross. He did not want to go to the cross. He asked his father, please take this cup from me. He sweat drops of blood. He cried in the garden. He said, my soul, he said to his best friend, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Like I am not happy about this. But yet, did he choose, and he could have chosen not to go. But did he choose to go because he thought it would bring greater happiness? Yes. We're told in Hebrews that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. The joy of of knowing that glory would be restored to God as God's people were reconciled to God. It was happiness. So we all desire to be happy. We all have this longing to be happy. Then the question is, is this desire bad? Is this longing to be happy sinful and selfish? No. God created us this way before the fall to desire and long for happiness. Remember, in the beginning, God created man and woman, created them in his image, and he blessed them. He said, be happy. I want you to be happy in me. Find your happiness in your relationship with me. That desire for happiness and joy and lasting satisfaction is a good God-given desire. But we know in Genesis 3 that the fall messed all that up and separated us from the only one who can truly make us happy. Now we're born and our hearts are broken and our desires are broken. So we seek happiness in all of the things of the world. We find ourselves seeking happiness and joy and satisfaction and things that may only provide temporary pleasure at best, but leave us longing for more and miserable in the end. So the, the desire is not bad. It's a God-given desire. And Jesus modeled perfectly how that God-given desire is lived out in a God-honoring way. He modeled perfectly for us what it looks like to seek happiness in God every day. 
every day. C.S. Lewis says this in The Weight of Glory. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward that promised in the Gospels, so in the Gospels, from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the rewards that he promises his followers, rewards that will make us happy. He says, when we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires for happiness not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like, ignorant, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation to the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis says, I think he's right. We are created to be happy, and we are created to be happy in the Lord, and we must seek happiness in the right places. The psalmist wants us to know happiness can be found. He be, that's why he begins by blessed. Happy is the man. Well, happy is the man that does what? And he tells us happy is the man that first considers where he seeks happiness. Second, happy is the man that considers the fruit in his life. And happy is the man who, who considers the eternal consequences of which path he chooses. So the, that's how the psalmist lays out these two paths. the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Which path are we on? Number one is consider where you seek happiness. That's the first way we can discern which path we are on. Consider where we seek happiness. Psalm 1-1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Happy is the man that does not do these things. So first, it's presented to us negatively. Because we're fallen creatures, we need to be told not where not to seek happiness. And so this blessed man, he, does not, he tells us three ways that this blessed man does not seek happiness. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not seek happiness in the advice of the world. He does not pattern his life after the ungodly. He does not listen to their counsel, does not share their goals, their principles, and their practices. Says he does not stand in the way of sinners. So he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, and he does not stand in the way of sinners. So this happy man, this blessed man does not stay. Standing implies staying. He does not stay in the company of sinners. Sinners here refers to those who are continually, habitually doing things that are contrary to the will of God. It says, if you want to seek happiness, don't stay with those people. Don't keep that company. And then the third thing he says where not to seek happiness is not to sit in the seat of scoffers. So sit implies we go from walking to standing to sitting. Sitting implies settling down and getting comfortable with. And a scoffer, a scoffer is a word in the Bible that is reserved for those who are not only deeply committed to doing evil, but to teaching others to do evil as well. So happy, if you want to seek happiness and blessing, don't get comfortable with the ungodly. Don't befriend the enemies of God. How can we walk hand in hand with those who are enemies of our Savior? Now, I think a quick caveat is needed here. I do not believe that the Bible, what, what the psalmist is saying is don't ever interact with lost people. Like don't talk to sinners. 
We know that that's not right. We have the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. We all start out on the way of the wicked, and it's only by God's grace that we, we make it to the way of the righteous. And that's by people talking to us and sharing the gospel with us. So, of course, share the gospel with the lost. Talk with the lost. Build relationships with the lost. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying don't seek happiness in their company. Don't seek happiness in their counsel. Consider where you're seeking happiness. Don't seek happiness in their things. And that's what the first thing he invites us to do. Where do we seek happiness? Am I listening to the world about what is important? Am I listening to the culture about what I should believe about morality? Am I seeking happiness in the things that this world has to offer ultimately? It tells us negatively, consider those things. You will not find happiness there. That is where the wicked seek happiness, and they never find it. I can attest to that. It will not be found there. Verse 2 tells us where it will be found. So the happy man, this is where the happy man will find happiness, where he will find true and lasting satisfaction and joy. It says this in Psalm 1, verse 2. It says, but his delight, this blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the blessed man, two things. He delights in God's word and he meditates on God's word day and night. He delights, it says specifically that he delights in the law of the Lord. Law of the Lord. Uh, if you notice in your Bibles, Lord is all capital. L-O-R-D. That's the, that's the special, specific name of Yahweh, the one true God. So the law of the Lord was a special thing. The psalmist um, all he had was the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the law of the Lord, the first five books. We have the entire counsel of God. We have the entire 66 books of the Bible. And sometimes the law of the Lord is used to refer to the, the whole counsel of God. But why in the world would the solution to our happiness problem, to our joy problem, to our satisfaction problem, be solved in delighting in a law? Delighting in the law of God. C.S. Lewis says, this is a puzzling statement because laws are to be obeyed, not delighted in. So what is the psalmist saying? How can we delight in the law of the Lord? Or why should we delight in the law of the Lord? I want to answer that for the psalmist. I want to answer that for us. The psalmist believed, and it's basically the same answer. The psalmist believed that the most happy and the most blessed life, the most happiness can be found is one that is lived delighting in the law of the Lord because the law of the Lord led him to God. It was the law of the Lord that led him to know God. Through the laws, literally, the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, it's through the law that God gave that we know the moral character of God. And then it's through the stories in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, through those stories of God's providential workings with his people that we learn of God's love and his protection and his provision and his mercy. So that's why the psalmist could delight in the law of the Lord. All throughout the Psalms, they write about the law of the Lord, and they write about it in such a way that it is absolutely, astoundingly beautiful and to be wanted more than gold and silver, more delicious than honey, the words they use to describe it. And they're talking about the law of the Lord. C.S. Lewis says they write as men ravished by moral beauty as they're talking about the law of God. 
because in it they find God. And so why should we, people of the 21st century who have Facebook and Instagram and Fox News and CNN and all of these different things, we have deer leases and we have uh, golf courses and all, all sorts of things, Snapchat and Twitter and games to play. We have everything in the world. And you're telling me that happiness, my, my, my delight problem is to be solved in this ancient book? Do you have something new to offer me? How in the world, why do we go to this ancient book to find true joy, lasting happiness, where our true delight is? Because the same reason the psalmist did. Because in it, well, we not only have the first five books, we have the entire scripture. And in it, we find God. It's through the Bible, through the counsel of God, through the word of God that we get to know God. It's not an end in of itself. It's a means to an end. John Piper says it's not a wall. It's a window. It's a window. If you come to scripture as a wall, it's like, I don't get it. Like, no, book, old book, nothing there for me. No, it's a window through which we see God and his workings in the world and his dealings in the world. Like I said, we have the entire 66 books. We have the New Testament. We can read about the life and the works and the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can read about the teaching of the apostles. We have much more reason to find delight in the Word of God. It is only through this Word that we're able to be on the righteous path. It's only through this Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's through the words that are in this book that we come to know God. That is why they're to be delighted in. That's why this man delights in God's law. And also I want to point out that a delight in God's law is, is an indicator of the new birth. Delight in God's law. If you delight in the law of God, that's a good sign that you've been born again. Because we're told in Romans 8, 7, that the mind of the unbeliever is hostile towards God. It's an enemy of God. It does not, it does not, not only does it not delight in the law of God, but it doesn't submit to the law of God, and nor is it able to. That's what we're told. So if you're in here and you delight in the word of God, and you love the God of the Bible, and you want to know more about him, praise God. That's a miracle. You're on the path of the righteous. It's the way of the righteous one. That's the way to true joy and true satisfaction. And that leads to meditation on the word of God. So the natural and necessary result of delighting in the word is meditating on the word. Meditating on it, pondering on it, reflecting on it. And it just makes sense if the thing we, because the thing we delight in most, the thing we love the most is what we're going to think about the most. And if God is the one that we love the most and God has chosen to reveal himself to us in his word, then we're going to think about this, meditate upon this, ponder this the most. It just makes sense. One commentator said, the power of reflection, the power of reflection separates man from beast. The practice of reflection separates the wise from the fool. So do you practice meditating on the word of God? Some of the best advice that was ever given to me, a man by the name of Bill Orem. I was a brand new Christian, and I was in jail at the time, and he did jail ministry, and he taught Bible lessons that just rocked my world. He knew so much, and he taught me so much, and I just went up to him, and I said, Mr. Orem, like, can you 
can you give me some books to read? Can you recommend some books for me to read? I want to know what you know. Like God saved me and he changed my heart and I just want to know more about it. I don't get it. And he said, James, immerse yourself in the Bible, dive into it and don't ever come up for air. That's the best advice anyone has ever given me. Like meditate on the word of God, delight in the word of God. That is where true joy and happiness can be found. So the psalmist first invites us to consider what path we're on. Where do we seek happiness? Do you delight in the word of God? Do you delight in the things of the world? Do you want to know the God of the Bible more so that you can be more like him? Or do you delight in everything else but the Bible and view the Bible as a wall? Next, the psalmist in verses three and four, he encourages us to consider our lives, to consider our fruit. First, consider where you, where you seek happiness. Next, consider your life. Take a look back. What kind of fruit does your life bear? He says this in verses three and four. He, the happy man, the blessed man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So first, the author invites us to consider where we seek happiness, and then he uses this imagery to see which path we're on, because the fruit that our lives bear will reveal which path we're on. The path of the wicked will have appropriate fruit following it. The path of the righteous will have appropriate fruit following it. The path of the righteous that man flourishes and bears good fruit. We're told he's like a tree planted by streams of water. So first he's a tree planted. Notice that. No tree plants itself. So it's only it's pointing to the grace of God. God planted this tree. It's like this, this man can't claim any credit for his blessedness, his happiness. He knows it all comes from the grace of God. But he's planted in a specific place by streams of water. Why? So that he can be vibrant and strong. So he's planted in a specific place by God so he can be strong and vibrant and for a specific time. It says so that he can bear his fruit in his season. So God has planted the righteous man, the one who's on the path of righteousness, in a specific place for a specific time to bear fruit for the good of others, to bless people around them. to bless others. Next it says, his leaves do not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Now, I, I was fascinated to study this week and to learn that there are trees that put forth good fruit, but bad leaves. And so the fruit is no good. And there are trees that put forth good leaves, but bad fruit. Therefore, the fruit is no good. But there is also a category of trees that year-round have good leaves and good fruit. A couple of those trees are the palm tree, and, and another one is the olive tree, which the righteous man is, is often compared to the olive tree. Year-round, good leaves, year-round, bearing good fruit. The prophet says that uh, one commentator says that this prophet is saying that the righteous man is like the olive tree. The apostle Paul says that the righteous are rooted and grounded in love. 
They're forever connected to the living fountain from which flows what is needed for grace and good works. And God causes all things to work together for their good, and they will perpetually flourish in glory and honor forever. So that's the way of the righteous man. He's like a strong tree planted by streams of water at a specific time to bear fruit to bless specific people. What is the wicked? What is the way of the wicked? The wicked are not so. The wicked flounder in life and they are fruitless. It says the wicked are like chaff that's blown away by the wind. This could not be a more opposite picture. A strong tree planted by streams of water, always good leaves, always bearing fruit, and chaff that is blown away by the wind. If, who likes sunflower seeds? I'm a sunflower seed eater. Yes, I see you. Hands everywhere. I love it. I'm a sunflower seed eater. Eat them all the time. I love them. You, when you crack the sunflower seed, there's that little like papery, like thin flaky thing that surrounds the seed that you actually eat. That's like chaff. It's thin, nothing to it, no flavor, not good for anything. That's like chaff. It's just useless. It's blown away by the wind. And actually, he's referring to this separating like wheat from chaff that they used to do in the Bible days. That's how they do it. They'd pluck the wheat. They'd gather it together. They'd crush it all up. So you got wheat and chaff mixed together, and then they'd throw it up in the wind. Uh, we were at a wedding last night in Fort Worth, and I met a missionary to Nepal. He'd been a missionary there. Him and his wife had been missionaries there for 20 years. And he showed me a video of eight days ago, a woman doing that. Like, ironically, I was like, I'm preaching on that tomorrow. And it was a, a, it was a video of a lady who had a tarp out and a bunch of wheat there that she had stepped on and crushed up. And then she had this bowl that she was scooping up and throwing it up in the air. And the wheat would fall back down into the bowl, be set aside because it's useful for making things. And the chaff would just blow away in the wind. They still do that today. That's chaff. It's not strong. It's not vibrant. Has nothing of real importance to offer anyone. That is the fruit of the wicked, of the way of the wicked. So the psalmist invites us again to consider which path we're on. What type of fruit are we bearing? What impact are we making on those around us? God has placed us in a specific situation for a specific reason to bless specific people. Are we doing that? Are we flourishing and bearing fruit? Or are we floundering and tossed around by every new thing that comes around? So in the final two verses, we're encouraged to think about the final outcome of our decision. Of which path we choose to go down. So consider the outcome. Number three, the third thing he asks us to consider. Read Psalm 1, verses 5 through 6 with me. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So up to this point, the author has invited us to consider where we seek happiness now. He's invited us to consider the fruit that we bear, kind of by looking back at the pattern of our lives. And now he considers us, he asks us to consider the future the final outcome. What path are you on? Because here is where they both lead. So here is the ending of both of these paths. For the wicked, ultimately they will perish. They'll not stand with the righteous or in judgment. So in the final judgment of God, what well, uses the, the, the words wicked and sinner from verses one. Wicked and the sinner will not stand in the judgment. They'll not be able to endure God's final judgment. 
nor will they be allowed to stand in the congregation of the righteous. This is just a sad, tragic picture of people who are walking down the wrong path. Ultimately, they will perish, separated from God and from others for all of eternity. And they may have everything in the world. They may have it all put together. They may have a pretty looking life. They may have accomplished much. They may be very popular and very powerful. But if, if you remain separated from God and his people in this life, you will remain separated from God and his people for all of eternity. And that is a tragedy. That's the end of the way of the wicked. Here's the end of the way of the righteous. It simply says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. What well, doesn't God know everything? Of course, God knows everything. But the word know often means prefers or loves, sets his affection upon, knows he approves of this way. In Amos 3.2, this is how the Lord uses it. And the Lord says to his people, you only, speaking to the nation of Israel, he says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Well, of course, God knew all the families of the earth, but you only have I loved. I've set my special affection upon you. I prove of this. I'm with you. So that's what God says about the way of the righteous. He approves of this way. He loves this way. He prefers this way. But not only that, we see, another, we see another blessing kind of hidden in verse 5 when we see that the sinners are not allowed to stand in the congregation of the righteous. That's not talking about this congregation today. That's talking about a final congregation after the final judgment of God, the congregation of all the righteous. So we see another blessing following the way of the righteous Another end, final, ultimate outcome is not only do we get to be with God forever, but we get to be with God's people forever. What a comfort to those of us in here who've lost loved ones that love Jesus. It's like one day we know we will be with them again. Following the way of the righteous leads there. That is the final outcome, the ultimate consequence of this choice. One is perishing, separated from God, and others for all of eternity, and the other is peace with God, knowing that God loves you, and spending eternity in the congregation of other believers, the company of other brothers and sisters in Christ. So consider the final outcome. There are only two. Which outcome do you want for your life? It's black and white. It seems very simple. That's what Psalm 1 is all about. It's all about these two paths, and it, asks, it forces us to ask ourselves the question, which path are we on? Consider where you seek your joy. Consider where you seek happiness. Consider the fruit that you bear in your life. Consider the impact, the product you're producing with your life. Lastly, consider the final outcome. That's what Psalm 1 is all about. Very simple psalm, but very, very important. I want to end with a couple of comments just about these two ways, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. It's kind of the same thing for both, but different. The way of the wicked, here's what I want you to know. The way of the wicked, it begins with one decision, but it progresses quickly. It begins subtly, but it progresses quickly. If we look at the progression back in verse 2, it starts with walking, and then standing, and then sitting. So it's a progression. It's a progression. It's easy to go down that way. 
It starts out with an easy decision. Jesus said, broad is the path that leads to destruction. There are many who find it. This is the cool way, right? It's choosing to do something that's cool rather than something that's right. It doesn't come to you like a flaming Satan. It's going to come to you looking good. It's not like you're going to be in college one day and then robbing banks and worshiping Satan the next. It's not going to come to you like that. It's going to come subtly. I know in my life, and young people hear me, it happens subtly. It starts out with just, yeah, I know these friends are not great. They're not the best people I should be around, but they're my friends. I have fun with them. And then it goes to, well, yeah, I hang out with these people all the time. And yeah, we've gotten caught at some parties and, and done some illegal things that we shouldn't have done. But, you know, it's just, you know, boys will be boys. We're just being silly high school kids. And then it ended up in a full-blown addiction and in and out of prison for five years. That's the way of the wicked. It's subtle. It starts so seemingly innocent. Young people hear me, don't start down that path. Don't even start down that path. It will leave you miserable and you may never get out of it. But if you're in here and you're hearing this today, it's not too late. Praise God. If you're on the path of the, of the wicked, you can get off of the path of the wicked. It does not matter how long you've been on that path, if you've been on it 20 years, or if you are just considering, if you're in the early phases of this, or if you're a Christian who's on the path of the righteous but has backslidden into some old sinful habits and desires, struggling with things, so you feel like you have a foot on each path, that's not sustainable for long, but it's not too late. You can get, you can switch paths. By the grace of God, we can switch paths. So that's what I want to say about the first one, is it begins with a choice, and then it's a progression of other choices. It happens slowly, one step at a time, and then you find yourself sitting in the seat of the scorners, like ultimately, ultimately on the pathway of the wicked, hopefully not ultimately perishing. But what I want to say about the path of the righteous is it begins with a one-time choice, one-time decision that we make by the grace of God, but then it's an everyday decision after that to walk the way of the righteous. It begins, choosing the path of the righteous begins by choosing to trust in Jesus. Only by the grace of God will our hearts see Jesus as beautiful, will our hearts see that our happiness and satisfaction will be found in him. And we make that decision to, to trust in Christ. He is the only one who can live out this psalm perfectly. Jesus is the only one who never walked in the counsel of, of the ungodly. He's the only one who never stood in the way of sinners. He's the only one who never sat with the scornful. He was perfectly happy in God. He was perfectly righteous. He knew the way of the righteous. He walked the way that we walk. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is the way of the righteous. So if you find yourself walking in the way of the wicked or tempted to walk in the way of the wicked, trust in Jesus. Turn from that path and follow Jesus. It's the path of blessing. So then, continue, that's the first choice, then continue to make that choice day in and day out because Satan is going to attack you just in different ways. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from church. He's going to say, just travel. Travel, go play golf. You've got, you got all the time and money in the world. Just stay away from church. 
He's going to keep you away from Christian accountability. He's going to keep you from investing in Christian community. You have to make a decision daily that you're going to walk the way of the righteous. I'm going to follow Jesus today. God, give me grace to do that. He knows our way. He's walked it before, and he's with us as we walk it now, daily. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for loving us so much, not that you would only create us in your image, but God, that you would reveal yourself to us in the Bible, in your word, so that we can know you. God, so that we can know what not to do because it will ruin us, and that we can know what to seek and what to pursue because it will lead to our joy and your glory. God, I thank you for showing us this. I thank you for Psalm 1. I thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who is truly the blessed one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the truly righteous man that came and died to save sinners like me. And I pray, God, that if there's anyone in this room that is on the way of the wicked, going down the path to destruction, I pray that you would show that to them. I pray that they would see the end of that path, that they would feel the misery and loneliness now that's there, God, and that they would turn from that and trust in Jesus for salvation and join us on the path of the righteous. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be on the path, we would choose to be on the path of the righteous day in and day out. May we be a people that are characterized by this, that the world looks at and sees something different. The paths are different. God, help us to be that witness to the world. Lives that are different, our happiness, our joy is different. The fruit that we're bearing is different. And the peace that we have is different because we know where we'll spend eternity. God, help that to be true of us as a church. We love you. We worship you because you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at RedeemerMidland.org.